Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. The Bible is composed of 66 books, varying greatly in their composition, their style, and their function. While many books cover the rich history of God's people in an orderly and proper sequence, others seem to be structured without consideration of the sequence of history, but more according to their function or role in God's unveiling of His purpose. Exodus is interesting in that, for the most part, it is structured in a relatively accurate historical sequence. But one chapter stands out as a vivid exception, and that chapter, chapter 18, is the focus of our program today. Matt Miller here in the studio. Matt, always good to be together. This is quite a portion today, isn't it? It is, Chris. I'm looking forward to this portion. Uh, Matt, when we come to this chapter, uh, and it can be a puzzling chapter. I think it has puzzled scholars and Bible students uh, often in, over the ages, because if we're trying to systematize our study of this book, it just doesn't fit sequentially between chapters 17 and chapter 19. But actually, I think we'll see today, it's really a fairly simple chapter, but we need help to understand it. We need to see that there is a stark contrast between the condition of God's people at the beginning of the book of Exodus and how we see them at the end of the book. At the beginning, they're fallen. They're in Egypt. They are doubting God, questioning him. But at the end, the tabernacle is among them. It has been built up. God's dwelling place is with his people. And a key to seeing the linkage between these two contrasting conditions is very much chapter 18, isn't it? It is, Chris, and I appreciated how you compared the beginning of Exodus to the end, since Exodus is a picture of a believer's spiritual experience. And they start out in a fallen condition, and yet they go all the way to the end where there's fire resting on the tabernacle and the glory of God is there. It's a whole different picture. And so we see the progression of how we get there in our salvation of going through the exodus, going through the experience of Christ as the Passover lamb, then going through the exodus out of the world, out of Egypt. And then eventually there's this in chapter 17, which is crucial, is the dealing with Amalek, which is a picture of our flesh. And then you go to chapter 19, which is the beginning of the vision on the mountain for God's tabernacle, which is the goal. God's goal in his salvation of us is his building. So you have this insertion, which is strategically important in chapter 18, which is representing the kingdom. Yet, historically, that chapter is after chapter 40. Right. And we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy means a re-speaking of the law or a second law. So the re-speaking puts it in a proper sequence, which is right after Exodus 40. Therefore, the Holy Spirit put this between chapter 17 and the dealing of the flesh with Amalek and chapter 19 on the vision of the mountain for the building for the purpose that the kingdom is the environment where God's building can take place 
and we don't have the kingdom until the flesh is dealt with. Matt, before we join Witness Lee, I just I was reminded in your speaking, we need to consider that Exodus, more than just a book chronicling the history of the children of Israel as they are brought out of Egypt, it's a book that we have been seeing program after program, life study after life study, conveys to us or unveils God's complete salvation. And you just gave us a nice summary of that, and we see it in Exodus, but critical in God's complete or God's full salvation is this matter of the kingdom. That's the point of chapter 18. All right, here's Witness Lee. Among the 40 chapters, chapter 18 is the hardest. First of all, we must realize that in principle, Exodus is a picture of God's full salvation. Now, based upon the principle, you must find out what this chapter portrays. If you are a careful reader of the Bible, probably you would think there's no need of this chapter. According to the record itself, it has no connection with chapter 17, nor with chapter 19. By careful reading of the books of Moses, like Deuteronomy and Numbers, you read those two books with Exodus, you will find out what is recorded in this chapter, chapter 18 of Exodus, actually didn't occur right after Exodus 17. So, Historically speaking, this chapter should not be here. It should be after chapter 40, because it occurred this way. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, you could see this thing happened when they built up the tabernacle and when they were fully armed to be an army, to take the journey, sometimes the Bible's record is not according to the history, but rather according to doctrine. Especially in that one gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark arranged the things according to historical sequence, but Matthew arranged all the things not according to historical sequence, but according to doctrinal significance. Here, the principle is exactly the same. In chapter 17 of Exodus, Amalek was defeated. And that signifies what? That signifies the flesh of God's saved people that frustrates God's people to go on with God has been subdued. But right away, there is the need of uh, something to portray God's kingdom. So Moses, the good writer, inspired by God, just borrowed this event from Deuteronomy 1 and insert it into Exodus between chapter 17 and 19 to make up the gap to show us in God's full salvation after the defeat of God's chosen people's flesh, the kingdom is here. And this kingdom, which is after the defeat of Amalek, 
pure is needed. It is required for the building up of God dwelling on this earth. Exodus is of two sections. The first section is of 17 chapters, right? Chapter 1 through chapter 17. And the second section begins from chapter 19 through the last chapter, chapter 40. Between these two sections, the section of God's salvation and the section of God's building, there is a need, the kingdom. Without the kingdom, there's no result of God's salvation. Well, Matt, the book does pretty easily divide into these two clear sections, chapters 1 through 17 and then 19 through the end, for chapter 40. So we have this insertion. We spoke before. We just heard Witness Lee make the connection that this chapter depicts the kingdom. Let's talk for a moment about chapter 18 and just how it shows us the kingdom. It's a chapter where Moses... Uh, at some point when he's been, you know, laden down quite heavily with the responsibility of caring for God's people, of which there were millions by now. And Jethro, this uh, Gentile, happens to be his father-in-law. The Bible calls him a priest, interestingly. Comes and uh, watches Moses and how he's having to try to deal with all this. And he gives him some very practical suggestions on how he might go on. Where in this uh, dialogue and in this unfolding do we see the kingdom? I think the way we see God's kingdom here, Chris, is the order. There's an order and a delegation of responsibilities so that not one person, Moses, is carrying out all of the direction of God's people. It's interesting to me when I compared Deuteronomy chapter 1 to Exodus 18, Jethro's not mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter right. 1. Right. It's a father-in-law coming to Moses. And, you know, some of us hear from our father-in-law and do all the son-in-laws receive the word from their father-in-law? But Moses was really humble in a sense. He really yeah. was able to receive yeah. something from his father-in-law. And yet when you read in Deuteronomy 1, there's no mention that this thought came from Jethro, the yeah, priest it of Midian. Like, it sounds like the Lord speaking directly to Moses there, doesn't it? Yes. I think the Lord was speaking to Moses through Jethro. And he recognized that. <laughs> and, and Moses recognized it. And, and this now becomes the result of God's salvation, which is, you know, there's three things that happen shortly summarizing our experience from chapter 1 to 17 is you're delivered from three things. The first thing you're delivered from is Satan. Right. Which is Pharaoh, pictured yeah. by Pharaoh. The second thing is we're delivered from Egypt, which is a picture of the world. The third thing in our Christian experience, and I hope our listeners can see this point, because not all believers have had this experience, is the dealing with Amalek. That's a further dealing that brings us to the result of God's salvation of the kingdom in chapter 18, where there's an order, there's a proper expression, there's a proper environment. This is how the church is proper. The, a proper church is when everything is in order. Well, this order comes out of this third dealing of the flesh, whether it's good or it's evil. In Galatians 5, it mentions the flesh, and it says these will not inherit the kingdom. So we can see in clear words Without the dealing of the flesh, there is no kingdom of God. And yeah, for, I think we should highlight or underscore for those who maybe haven't been with us for each of the broadcasts, we saw clearly that Amalek really depicts the flesh, doesn't it? It does. And uh, the flesh is with us until the end as a trouble. Yep. Just like Amalek, it says in chapter 17, 
is a problem for God's people all the way to the end. Yeah, in 17, we had this victory over Amalek, seemingly, and at points, you know, Jehovah tells uh, various of his servants, they must slay Amalek completely, but yet, if you follow the history of Israel, in a sense, they're still being plagued by Amalek. It was the king of Amalek, the king of the Amalekites, who Saul didn't kill, and the result of that in First Samuel chapter 15 was that Saul lost the kingship. Saul was the king, and it was this that caused him to lose the kingship, not was not dealing with Amalek. Wow. This is a warning. This is enlightening, but it does depict the kingdom. Let's uh, join Witness Lee as we look more at how the kingdom needs this condition to be manifest. This insertion is to portray the coming of the kingdom after the defeat of the Amalek. How could we realize that this picture in this chapter depicts the kingdom? Because especially the New Testament, when the kingdom comes, number one, God's chosen people by that time would have defeated God's enemy. Here, before chapter 18, God's enemy subjectively within us, has been defeated. The number two, according to New Testament plus Old Testament, when the kingdom comes because of the defeat of God's enemy by God's chosen people, the Gentiles, the God-seeking Gentiles, will come. And here, the Gentiles are represented by whom? By Jethro. He was a priest. Many readers might have thought that he was a priest to the idols, foreign gods. No, he was a priest to the true God. He praised God, and he worshiped God, and he offered sacrifices to God. Jethro here represents the Gentiles who turn to God in the kingdom. The Gentiles who become God-seekers in the kingdom. Number two. Then number three, when the kingdom comes, the church is prevailing there. Actually, the church will be the ruling authority in the kingdom. By whom the church is represented? No doubt, by Ah, Moses' wife. A good number of Bible students, they all agree that Deborah typifies the Gentile church, gained by Christ when Christ was rejected by the children of Israel. You have to realize, even today, Christ is rejected by the children of Israel. In his rejection, Christ comes to his Gentile church. In his rejection, Christ has gained the gentle church. So here, this gentle wife represents the gentle church. Okay, let's apply the principle to today's situation of ours. When we defeat the flesh, the gentle will turn to us. If you live in the flesh, if you don't defeat the flesh, even you may labor to the uttermost. I don't believe many Gentiles will turn this way. Actually, the proper 
gospel preaching must be the kingdom. So the Bible says the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the uttermost of the earth. The gospel must be the kingdom. We are living in the flesh regardless how much we preach. It doesn't work. You are just in the flesh. No people will turn to God through you. You have to be one that defeats Amalek. Then Jezreel, the Gentile, will turn to God through you. And the church will be there prevailing. Uh, Matt, a couple of points in this section. Maybe we can uh, deal with them separately. Uh, the first one is kind of an interesting point, a point of typology, and, and that is that in Moses' Gentile wife, Zipporah, we see a clear type of the church. Why don't we cover that, and then I'll maybe introduce the part B. You know, this point, Chris, is a great point because it shows how Moses, a Jew, was rejected by his people when he left Egypt 40 years earlier, went to the wilderness, and when he was rejected, and in his rejection, he came to a Gentile wife, Zipporah. So this is how Zipporah and Jethro, her father, typify the church, because those are the ones God comes to in his rejection by his people right. Israel. Right. So as Moses hears a, a type of Christ and who is rejected by the Jews, turn then to the Gentiles to find a counterpart. And that really represents uh, the church, doesn't it? It does, which is the bride of Christ. It's, yeah. a, it's a good picture. Moses, typifying Christ, marries a Gentile bride because he was rejected by God's people and in his rejection found a Gentile wife great picture of the church. Okay, let's come to this next portion, which really I think is a, the meatier portion of the two, because it deals with uh, how the gospel now was opened up here, and the relationship of the gospel being uttered or, or presented in a prevailing way, very much contingent on the reality of the kingdom. Yeah, Chris, I was touched by that. I was convicted that no matter how much effort we put into the gospel, it doesn't matter. Because the real blessing in the gospel comes when we have the experience of dealing with Amalek in chapter 17. If God's people don't deal with their flesh, it doesn't matter how much labor they put in trying to bring in the kingdom, that labor is in vain because the result of the kingdom comes out of the dealing with the flesh. If we deal with our flesh as believers, the kingdom will come and the Gentiles will come. That's the picture of chapter 18. The Gentiles will come when we deal with our flesh. Yeah, you know, as I was listening to this, I couldn't help but recall a number of occasions when, you know, we find ourselves with a Gentile, an unbeliever, who may be seeking, may be quite open, but inwardly, we just don't have anything. And we're quite aware of that in our somewhat our shame or uh, remorse The fact is, we don't have much at that time because perhaps we're not really living under the headship of Christ ourselves. Conversely, many times when we're confronted with somebody who may not even seem that seeking, but yet if we are really in the reality of the kingdom where Christ is the Lord of our lives, in that moment, our flesh is subdued, and then we really have something with great power and impact. Amen. It's really a powerful message. I hope our listeners are keyed in on this one. Okay, let's go back to Witness Lee for our next section. We come to the second half of chapter 18. This proposal by Jezreel 
was altogether positive. It depicts what? It depicts the elder under the divine authority in God's kingdom. In other words, this depicts that in God's kingdom, there's no disorder. Everything is elderly under God's headship, which is the headship of Christ. And Moses here represents Christ at the head. Under this head, under his headship, everything and everyone is elderly taken care of. But now we have to apply it. If in a local church, everything, everything, big and small, everything has to go to the elders, this church must be weak. This church should not be a practical kingdom of God. But if the church here is actually the kingdom of God, you do not only have the elders. You also have the captains of the thousands, the captains of the hundreds, the captains of the fifties, the captains of the tens. Deborah represents the church. Then what a captain of thousand represents? What a captain of ten represents? All of them represent what? Represent the keeping of a good order. There's no need to have everything to go to Moses. There's no need to have everything to go to the elders. Everywhere, there's a captain. Even among ten, there's a little captain. And this little captain is under the headship, solving the problems and keeping a good order. This is the way to keep a very good elder among God's people. And this is a sign that today the situation among God's people is the kingdom. We do have a Moses. We do have a head here. And we all are under the head. Don't forget this book is a book of picture. This is the kingdom. And this kingdom is the issue of the enjoyment of God's salvation and God's provision. God's salvation and provision all have been enjoyed by the children, people of God, in the first 17 chapters. Now in chapter 18, here is the issue of the enjoyment of God's salvation and God's provision. And this issue is the kingdom. And this kingdom is the sphere, is the environment for God's people to receive the heavenly vision, to see the pattern of God's dwelling, and to build up God's house according to this pattern. So there's the need of such a kingdom. Hallelujah. This is why Moses under God's inspiration, he borrowed this event from Deuteronomy 1 and inserted it into this section to complete the picture of God's 
full salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah is right. Amen. <laughs> Matt, I think you and I can both probably relate to this section quite a bit. You and I have both been uh, elders in local churches for many years. And you can, as an elder, one bearing responsibility, and I'm speaking to all who bear responsibility in the body of Christ. This is a reality. When the church, when the saints, when the, you know, the members are enjoying God's salvation and God's provision, it just seems like the small problems just sort of get taken care of. But if the condition in the church wanes and there's not the enjoyment of God's salvation and his full provision, then the elder's time is completely taken up with solving oftentimes what seem like petty or small things. There's a reality to this portion, isn't there? Oh, there's a precious reality. I appreciate this a lot, like you said, Chris, and having dealt with problems in a practical way, one of the things that he stressed here is how there's captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, captains of fifties, and captains of tens. It's like four levels of problems, I would say. <laughs> and, and all the problems are dealt with at a different level without involving Moses. Mm -hmm. This means that at different levels in the church life, in our church experience, if the members in the body are experiencing God's supply and provision, as described in Exodus 1 through 17, then they enter into an atmosphere and an environment where there's the kingdom and you don't have these conflicts. Right. Well, you do have conflicts, but they're resolved at that level. Now, if there is a problem that's unresolvable, it does go to Moses. Sure. It can go to the elders, in a sense, who represent God's deputy authority here. But if you have to go to the elders for every problem, it's a sign of a weak church. You don't have a kingdom atmosphere, but in a proper environment, it's all just taken care of. And I just want to underscore one thing that we said earlier is that the kingdom is put here for a reason in Exodus chapter 18 compared to the Gospels. There's four Gospels. Matthew was similar to this, where Matthew yeah. tells the story according to doctrine or teaching to make a point of the sequence. It's not like in Mark, where the Gospel is in a certain sequence. So this is similar to what is happening here in Exodus 18. The, this is put here by the Spirit, as Witness Lee said, borrowed from Deuteronomy 1 to make a clear point that we need this atmosphere of the kingdom for the building of God's house. So, Matt, just uh, uh, to wrap up this point, I'm also very struck with it. If we're in a church situation where one or even one or two or three are in charge of everything and running every aspect, that really is not a manifestation of the kingdom. It may be a manifestation of their kingdom, but it's not God's kingdom. It's Good. very it, it's very weak. Yeah. We need some captains here, as you pointed out, and the captains emerge when the, when the saints of God are enjoying his supply, his salvation, his full provision. I think this is a great point upon which to end our time today. Awesome. Let's uh, say together how Witness Lee ended his speaking. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks, Matt. Amen. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. To discover more of what Living Stream has to offer, please visit ministrybooks.org. 
From there, you'll be able to read over 600 titles by Witness Lee and Watchman Nee online and free of charge. Again, the website, ministrybooks.org. Thanks for listening today.